The Performance Lab podcast is invested in the sharing of knowledge and cultivation of curiosity between makers. We invite guest artists to lead a workshop with the MFA candidates of Sarah Lawrence College, after which we interview them. We ask questions tailored to their individual practice, delving deeper into the how and the why of creation. Inspiration is all around us, but how do we hone in on the subjects that drive us? They share with us their tips, tricks, and sources of inspiration, reflect on past performances and projects, and keep us up to date with what's next. Stay tuned for the Performance Lab podcast. Hi there. Welcome to the Performance Lab podcast. My name is Amelia Bethel. My name is Karen Lowy. And we are first-year grad students at Sarah Lawrence College in the theater program. And today we have with us Sarah DeLapp. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Uh, could you tell us a bit about the workshop you led with us today? Yeah, so today we did a writing workshop about objects and writing from uh, starting with the object and building out from there to create an environment. I hope that captures the majority of what we did. <laughs> um, and we also shared the exercises at the end of class. And I feel like at the beginning we talked a little bit about climate change and why it's so difficult to write about it and how that relates to objects and the built environment. Is climate change something you've been thinking about a lot in terms of your own work? I know that's something that I've seen popping up with other people we've worked with and learned from. Yeah, I think it's definitely something I'm thinking about as, um, I don't know, a person who wants to live. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> into the future and a uh, and an, a writer. I think it is really hard to grapple with the enormity of the problem and to think in terms of that long time span. I feel like which is part of the problems of getting people ready to deal with climate change and make massive changes in order to stop it because it's so hard to think about a problem in terms yeah. of 20 years or 50 years or 80 years, um, which is, I don't know, something that I've been thinking about. And I find it really interesting how you said, like, it now lives in the realm of science fiction. Yeah. Because there's other writers, like Isabel Allende wrote a piece about a natural disaster in Colombia where mud literally inundated this entire village. Mm -hmm. But it did, it's like you said, it did focus on the personal of, like, this small child and a reporter. Yeah. So, yeah, I found it fascinating. Yes, which is kind of the only way I feel like we ever emotionally understand something is if it's about people. Yeah. Like we always, we want to watch people where when we're looking at a picture, we immediately focus on the person's face if it's in there, um, which it feels like is part of, I don't know, the puzzle of how to get people to care about the weather. Which is so like no one cares about weather, yeah. and yet someone dresses a cloud. Someone dresses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah. I would watch that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I liked how you incorporated weather into our exercise today, yeah. having us write down different types of weather. Um, which at first I was like, okay, rain, sun, wind. What else? Right. But like to keep going with that was really interesting to me because yeah. there was a lot more going on than I realized and then how we incorporated it into the the writing exercise as well yeah the environment I feel like weather gets a bad rap it's <laughs> supposedly boring to talk about the weather but when you think about it it's something that we're all actually experiencing it's one of the rare things that we're all collectively experiencing yeah. when we're in the same space which feels like I, there's that's powerful 
Mm. Although also obviously banal and boring. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> also because you're supposedly inside always in the theater. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, it's yeah. interesting too though how weather can like have an effect on objects going back yeah. and change how it's people are interacting with their environment and just with really simple objects. Yes. Yeah, and yet I feel like people have such as such an emotional uh, as we learned today like such emotional relationships to objects and I feel like we don't have emotional relationships to weather in the same way because it's kind of amorphous and we're inside of it instead of being bigger than it generally yeah. or like somehow separate I don't know these are not well-formed thoughts <laughs> just thinking out loud no, but it makes sense because you think about like an optic this might sound dark, but an object is something you can own. Well, like the weather, you can't be like this is only yeah. mine. Yeah, yeah. You exist and share it so much with other people. Yes, totally. Like mm-hmm. weather is God's. That's, that's <laughs> up to him, whoever. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever is not, we can't well, control again, it. Again, cloud person. Cloud person. <laughs> Rain Let's spreading make everywhere. it happen. Yeah. <laughs> Next grab them. <laughs> um. With the object work, it felt like we started very small and moved into something larger. Mm-hmm. Is that a kind of exercise that you employ in your own writing and work? Or Yeah, I mean, I feel like I think about objects a lot when I'm writing. Or it's just so, they can become so charged with energy when you put an object on an empty stage. Um, they can carry a lot of weight and they can introduce an inanimate element that, um, that just... I like even just putting, I don't know, like a, a banana on stage will suddenly change what we're watching in a way that's visual, like the, the actual image of what we're taking in, but also changes. I feel like they're funny, like bananas to me are a funny object. And there's something about like putting a banana in any play that will like add a little element of humor into the t- visual tone of it, which... I don't know. I don't know if this is answering your question. And now I'm just thinking about like a production of Hamlet with a banana. (laughs) (laughs) But they are, they're so, objects are really a crucial part of stage life, I feel like. It was really cool to hear you talk about the Great Reckonings in Little Rooms. Yeah, Um, it's such a good book. You guys all have to read it. Yeah, I want to. I hadn't thought about Shakespeare not really having furniture before. It like blew my mind we, when you said there's that. There's a class we have here that history and astronomics that touch on that, but it's in a dramaturgical level, mm. in which like how they didn't really everything could be anything in a Shakespeare plays as opposed to the Greek plays having to be the plays, mm. and the neoclassical is like we have the impression of this place because they started introducing the perspective. Yeah, so it's fascinating to see. Yes, totally. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, there's just so many possibilities of what to make of an empty room, mm-hmm. which is a stage. But I feel like I also like I had my I had never thought about the fact that there wasn't furniture in Shakespeare. But he also talks about in and this is Berto State's book. He talks about that's being the reason why films of Shakespeare are so bad because you're because Shakespeare's plays are cinematic because they're describing things in a way that is incredibly evocative and cinematic but when you pair that language with actual cinema with like the intensity and detail and visual sensory of like actually being in a midsummer's night dream in the forest and seeing all of these flowers and fairies and blah 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 it's actually too much it's too much. It actually cuts against the richness of the language to have that be met 
with mm-hmm. a rich visual world instead of blankness, which I thought was is really interesting. Yeah. And I buy it. I feel like that makes sense. I, Sorry to call the Shakespeare no. movie. I buy it too. <laughs> the Romeo of Bus Juliet from Bus Mom. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the fish. <laughs> I never thought about that though. Yeah, that by kind of trying yeah. to create a visual of that poetry we kind of cut our own imaginations out yeah. of the out of the circuit yeah and they're so powerful yeah. so. yes they're so and powerful and more of those like how that can push like modern playwrights into writing because so much times they're like don't it's like don't say it show it mm. especially like in screenwriting yeah so it makes me think about playwriting you do have like you could have an empty stage and you could have a character fake talking about everything like being like there's a space here there's a space here and creating yes like, yeah that's so exciting yeah. you should write it <laughs> <laughs> you should changing gears a little bit yeah um I know that you started writing I'm going to talk about the wolves a little oh, bit oh yeah right you started writing it based on hearing conversations at the new museum mm-hmm. um and I loved that then those like very serious conversations were something that teenage girls got to say. Yeah. I think that's so exciting because I think teenage girls um, don't get a lot of credit yeah. anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was wondering if you could just talk more about how you understand girlhood and mm. uh, female adolescence and like what you would like to see mm. represented on stage for that stage of life and those people. Yeah, oh, that's such a good question. And I also feel like we're living in an era where there's suddenly a proliferation of plays that are tackling the experience of being a girl, which is so exciting. Um, there's Jocelyn Bio's play, School Girls, which is really amazing. Claire Barron's play, Dance Nation. Yeah. Um, the play that was just at the Women's Theater that I can't remember the name of right now. But there are so many plays about girls who I feel like are so, so interesting and so full of life and vivacity and hope and fear and ambition and pain and confusion and power and are just really I feel like deserve to be watched and listened to in the like full breadth and depth of the very the infinite number of experiences of being a teenage girl um so I hope there are just more and more of them on stages near you (laughs) what just following up that is like what tropes do you think need to like stop kind of existing about a teenage girl Oh, that's a good question. But hard, it's so hard because I feel like they're, they are just embedded in our consciousness, the ways that people think about teenage girls, the way that their speech is policed. I find mm-hmm. to be so tired. It's such a tired critique of the way that girls talk, saying like and um mm-hmm. and the up talk and blah, blah, blah. Um, and ja- there's this Jacqueline Novak, a comedian yeah has this show get on your knees that's so funny it was wonderful I got to see it yeah it's so great do you remember the part where she's talking about um a boyfriend's father yes and how he critiques her using like Mm -hmm. and is like I can't listen to and I don't hear anything you're saying I just hear you say like and she has an amazing bit that I'm not going to be able to do but she's basically like you couldn't handle me precise and the likes and the ums are obstacles yeah. I'm throwing into the river of my speech to slow it down so that you can comprehend what I'm saying, but you couldn't handle me precise, which I think is yeah. so great. <laughs> yeah. Spoken word poet who made a whole like 
poem about the likes and the ums and how yeah it's a softness it's like the softness in girls that sometimes the patriarch just goes like mm, she's like it's a very male dominated thing to be like direct is the only way to be as opposed to another yeah. speaking yes I feel like it's an unfair way to just silence and tune yeah. out yeah. people who have a lot to say it is I'm thinking so much more about the word like than I have <laughs> in years because <laughs> yeah I do like the idea of using it to like do you like it? I like, <laughs> I like love, like, um, <laughs> but no, I like, I like hearing what Jacqueline Novak said, how like you can use it as a tool yeah. to like taking it back. Cause I do feel like there is a way in which holding on to like, or, um, or like, huh, can yeah. be, can, you can see that as something that is disempowering or you can say, you know what? No, this is for me. Yeah. And you're welcome for making myself available to you yes. in this way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, was, I also just feel like it's part of the way that language is changing. And as playwrights, we have to listen to language and use it yeah. as people are actually using it. How do you handle things like text messages and languages and plays because that's mm. such a big way that we communicate now that I feel like film yeah. has a has a pretty good way of showing but it's so hard if you're seeing a play and yeah. someone gets a text like and that gets projected onto it like, yeah. yeah. yes totally and the sound effect yeah that isn't Dumb. local that's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah um it's hard it's hard to know how to use phones on stage or it's actually not that hard but I feel like some plays struggle with it, but it's such an important part of our day-to-day life that it feels like if you're writing about someone in 2020, they're gonna probably have a phone and you're gonna have to figure out a way to deal with it. But text, it's hard to know how to show a text message. I feel like, like I've definitely had characters texting, but it, I feel like I'm treating it more like how the Victorians would treat like a letter yeah on stage or those plays where like there's a letter and it's a major plot point and you don't know actually uh do you know the play that annie baker played john a little bit yeah it ends with a text message that like that's the final moment of the play is basically a text message that we don't read but we just see somebody says like this is not going to make any sense i don't know how to describe it basically there's like a big moment at the end of the play where a boyfriend has his girlfriend's phone and a woman who's sitting next to him sees a text message appear and it says who it's from and she asks who's john and the play is called john and we know that john is the guy who the girlfriend was having an affair with Mm. and that's the end of the play so we know that like she was texting with the guy who she had an affair with it's so great great. it's such a great way to use a text message that is kind of like (laughs) the letter is opened at the end but it feels like very and that that feels like a real thing that happens (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh that's very cool yeah it's very cool that's why we need the face recognition to be like Oh gosh, oh, no. That's, that <laughs> no frightens me. That's what's going to be moving towards like the new place. I wonder is like what new thing is like is texting now, but even like computers and media and like yeah. you know, you know, to quote unquote traditional yeah. plays is fascinating. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of forms and mm-hmm. traditional plays, what's something impossible that you'd like to create? Mm. Oh, I don't know. That's such a good question. I feel like that's where every play should kind of start from, is trying to create something impossible on stage. 
but I don't have an answer. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Jumped in. That was, a, that was a big one. <laughs> play about climate change. Now play about climate change. <laughs> yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. I yeah. think so, yeah. yeah. My gosh. You play about a banana. I don't know. <laughs> banana as and a Hamlet. phone. Banana as a phone. There we go. <laughs> but also using all the words that only Hamlet the play has. Yeah. It's full circle. Oh, yeah. yeah there we go. That's it. Banana <laughs> Hamlet. <laughs> Everyone's just wearing yellow. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Where did you find that Amitav? I'm probably pronouncing this man's name horribly oh, wrong. Oh yeah, Amitav Ghosh. Yes, I really like the snippet that you showed yeah. us. Um, how were you introduced to to him? Oh, that's such a good question. I feel like I found it somehow on the internet um, and have been reading the book, but the lectures. But the books are based on this series of four lectures he did at the University of Chicago called The Great Derangement, which is the same title of the book. That's about uh, the, basically the, how we're all deranged because we're living in denial and can't deal with climate change. And he breaks it down into four lectures and I think four chapters or maybe three chapters or three like sections in the book about how fiction can't deal with it, how politics can't deal with it, and then how society can't deal with it. What else are you reading? Um, oh, all kinds of all kinds of things. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna just like ask you about that of a uh, like. Oh shit! I forgot my question. Never mind. Keep you. Keep <laughs> <laughs> it literally left my mind. But um, it was it was gonna be. It's like kind of gonna be like oh it just bam, bam. sorry 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 um okay. but do you think like right now we exist in a world of place are we leaning way too much into like the realism as mm. opposed to going more into the fantastical oh that's such a good question yeah. yeah well i feel like plays that are naturalistic are always are just as well i don't know i actually have so many thoughts and feelings about this subject but i feel like plays we're sort of conditioned and built and the way that we're all like uh ingesting tv and film i feel like when we go to the theater we're kind of prepared to see realism or naturalism mm -hmm. in a way that makes those makes it almost like though i do feel like that's kind of the standard um and i still and i really love naturalism mm -hmm. and realism and use a lot of it's tropes, but I am really excited about moving towards a more like Shakespearean, wild, sort of like yeah. haunted theater that has moments of transformation and metamorphosis and things we don't expect. But it also it's just harder to pull that off, I think, because we're so savvy as mm. theater consumers that it's harder to get a people to actually go with the play. Um, then like kind of lean back and analyze the, the uh, social behavior of these very realistic seeming people if that makes sense thank you so much and tune in next time uh, for the next guest artist the performance lab podcast was brought to you by contemporary performance network in association with the sarah lawrence college theater mfa program for more information please visit our websites at www.contemporaryperformance.com or www.sarahlawrence.edu